This is the weekly sermon from Church of the Holy Trinity, a Reformed Episcopal parish of the Anglican Church in North America in Houston, Texas. Please join us on Sundays at 10.30 a.m. and 5 o'clock p.m. for Holy Communion, and visit us on the web at holytrinityrec.org. Enjoy the sermon. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be always acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. You may be seated. Saul has struck down his thousands and David his ten thousands. The song of the women of Jerusalem is the army of the Lord and David and Saul return from the great victory over Goliath that we read about last week over and also against the entire Philistine army sets the tone, I believe, for the rest of the book of 1 Samuel. As we read, Saul was all about pride and vainglory. Anything or anyone that thwarted his pride, threatened him in any way, including God, caused Saul great consternation. Right under his nose, as we read last week at the end of chapter 17, God worked greatly through a weak, lowly shepherd boy. Before this point, as we've been reading in this book, Saul was the champion of his people to save them from their enemies. And this suddenly shifted. Yet Saul still placed David in a great position as a warrior leader. Often as we know, God works out his purpose through what humanity considers weak what humanity considers those that are least able to fight. It's a lesson we constantly learn as Christians, humility and the power of Jesus Christ alone to confront sin. This morning, let us reflect on this first half of 1 Samuel 18. Before this song of the women of Jerusalem, the immediate aftermath of the defeat of the Philistines in verses 1 through 5 speaks of the beginning of one of the greatest friendships that we find in the pages of Holy Scripture. As verse 1 states, as soon as he had finished speaking to Saul, speaking of David, the soul of Jonathan, the firstborn son of Saul, was knit to the the soul of David, and Jonathan loved him as his own soul. Even though the word friend is not used specifically in this passage as it is throughout scripture, we see this relationship as a deep friendship. The word knit here means a deep human human relationship bound together in love, sacrificial love. The other nuance of this word and use of this word in terms of deep human bonding refers to the bonding that occurs in a conspiracy. For Jonathan and David, their friendship was that of love, sacrificial love, not conspiracy. As a sign of this trusting relationship, as we read, Jonathan, after making this covenant with David, gave him his own robe, his armor, and even his sword and his bow and his belt. It's significant that he gave these implements of his role as the king's firstborn and heir to a lowly shepherd boy. To David. Jonathan did not know it at the time, but, God, but David, by God's design, would take the throne at the proper time. To give David these important pieces of clothing, armor, and weaponry speaks 
of Jonathan's sincerity. This is a sincerity and a true friendship that would stand the harsh tests to come by his father's wickedness towards David. Friendship, as we know in Holy Scripture, is important, if proper, through faithfulness to Almighty God. Several times in the pages of the Old Testament, we find, though, where friendship and friends fall far short, becoming tormentors or enemies. The chief example of this that we can all go to are the three supposed friends of Job that, and how they treated Job in his dire need. Jonathan, as we'll read, was the direct opposite with David. Friendship in Jesus Christ is very important as well. We all need, in the body of Christ, close personal friends in Christ through the faith for mutual help, support, prayer, and godly love. After Jonathan and David's bond, verses 6 through 16 speak of the anger of King Saul towards David. Because of the reaction of the people, he was losing the preeminence. He was getting out of the spotlight. The hearts of the people were shifting towards another, and he knew it. This homecoming was supposed to be, as victory parades in that time were supposed to be, welcoming back the victorious warrior king as supreme. Yet the call was always, though, to give God the glory. And as we've seen throughout this book, Saul lost sight of this repeatedly. The key is godly humility as David would live out the rest of his days. Saul, the rest of his days, though, buried himself deeper and deeper into despair driven by his wounded pride. Verse 9 exhibits this, and Saul eyed David from that day on. Verses 10 through 11, even after this great victory, we read of Saul's continued torment due to his rejection of God. And in verse 10, the next day, a harmful spirit from God rushed upon Saul, and he raved within the house while David was playing the lyre as he did day by day. Instead of finding the peace and the comfort and the solace that he had in the past with David's playing, he now went into deeper and greater despair. He dove deeper into torment, as we read, by hurling a spear, trying to kill David twice, in which we read that David evaded. In the last part of this chapter, Saul, due to his fear of David, sent him from his presence to be a commander of a thousand men. We will see in later chapters that Saul's intent with this was to try to actually have David killed in battle to get rid of this person, this threat. This, of course, as we'll read, was thwarted by God over and over again. Verse 14 states, And David had success in all his undertakings, for God was with him. For David, removed from his family to care for the sheep, to now be in full service to Israel and the king, this indeed was a radical change. It was God at work. He was placed in charge of men, a thousand men, to defeat the enemies of God and the enemies of his people. He was removed from the presence of Saul and the original purpose for David to meet the immediate need of the calming of the king when torments came. 
Sometimes in our lives and faith, we have to look at the changes ahead in our own lives that occur in our own lives as opportunities to act and live in faith through asking for his help for all that's in front of us. Remember to this point in time, David was a servant, whether tending his father's sheep or playing music for a deranged king. It was support work, behind the scenes, mundane. Yet, as we know, it was God preparing David for a new stage of his life in his work for God and the people. For us, putting ourselves, if we can, for a moment into David's shoes, how would we respond with such a sudden change? Going from the ease of the king's court to having a spear hurled at us twice to now a state of constant warfare. This was a jarring change. For us, in the faith, God has a way of preparing us in similar ways. Yet when God deems it the right time, he moves us from the stages we have become comfortable to in to the forefront, discomfort in the face of the world, the flesh, and the devil. David could have thrown up his hands here after, after almost being killed by the king and returned to his family to seek the peace and the comfort of his family, tending the flocks. Yet David remained humble in obedience to God to continue the work that was set in front of him. Anytime we're coming upon a change in the life of faith, our demeanor must remain humble and fully reliant upon Christ alone, no matter what is placed in our hands to do for the kingdom. David was anointed king to someday replace Saul. But instead of doing this the normal way sinful human beings do such things through rebellion, backbiting, whispering, and coups, David continued to serve God through obedience, yes, even to a king that tried to kill him. Our roles are the same. We remain vigilant in Christ to face the enemies of the cross through the gospel mandate of his great commission. Such is not done by rebellion, by gossip, by whispering, by coups, and so forth. Such is done by grace through faith in obedience to God, no matter how inconvenient, how uncomfortable, and how slow to our sinful sensibilities. The result of David's continued success by the hand of God was that Saul, as we read, stood in awe of him in verse 15. Along with this, as verse 16 reminds us, Israel and Judah, the nation, the people of God, loved David. Under Saul's nose, through sending David to fight battles, gained the love of the nation. These were all tests for David to further prepare him for the day that would come where he would become king. It was God's plan and design. Do we see all that God places in our lives as his purpose, his design? No matter how it looks in the moment or even in the near future. David indeed was anointed king. Yet the fruition of this took years of service to God through obedience to all that Saul sent him to do, and even when Saul openly sought to hunt him down. The path of the spread of the gospel is much the same, deferring to God's word and commandments over what we think or feel should happen or the plans we make. 
See, the outworking of the Great Commission is through our Savior Jesus Christ, through his sacrificial love, for his love for us, moving us to love enough to help in the rescue mission of the gospel. As our gospel lesson provided today, the way of the cross often takes us from comfort to discomfort of loving others enough to give ourselves an obedience to Christ. It is God's love to stop and help when all our sensibilities tell us to keep moving due to some sort of excuse. David kept moving in faith as we are all called to do in our lives with Jesus Christ fulfilling all in our place for us, giving us the strength and the courage to move forward. When we obey through the power of Christ as David obeyed, it is Christ at work within us in a situation we would normally run away from to get back to our comfort levels. It is through as our Savior went through to be castigated by the Pharisees for being friends of tax collectors and sinners through loving them enough to call them out of their sin. See, the Pharisees saw it fit as the Levite and the priest and the story and the parable to only tell others what to do from a distance, to tell others what they needed to do to pick up their own lives, to tell others to rescue themselves, to patch themselves up. That was the way of the Pharisee. The way of the cross is to do the work in love through often getting even our hands dirty, not through sinning, but by helping a sinner come to Christ in faith, to repentance, to the cleansing waters of baptism, into the ark of the church, to his holy table. David could have gone home to wait it out, if you will, until the proper time, until Saul died. We could stand on the sideline as well, waiting it out, if you will, afar until Christ's second coming or our own deaths, not loving those that make us uncomfortable, not doing things that are uncomfortable for the sake of the gospel. David did not go home. He obeyed through faith in all that God placed in front of us. Let us obey by faith in all that God places in front of us through seeking his help, his grace, and his power. Yes, even if such involves things that this world would call absurd, folly, or even dangerous. Let us close with these words from St. Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 22 through 25. For Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews and folly to the Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. Amen.